guilt and pride, blood of Christ the crucified. From your hands, your feet, your side, Jesus, I trust in you. You've been preaching the gospel for 20, 25 years, had no faith to believe that God wanted to heal, and yet here we were, baby Christians, without all of his education, uh, seeing the verses that we had seen and, and coming up with the decision, hey, God wants us here. And it gave us confidence. It gave us boldness. Even though we didn't know how to direct it, we went to be prayed for. You know? We didn't know how to direct that boldness. God straightened us out on causing our actions to agree with that, that boldness. But the understanding from the scriptures that God wanted us healed, gave us bonus. This guy didn't have any bonus. Been in the Word for years and years and years. I saw, while I was in that church, I saw many, many people go up to the altar to be prayed for every time there was a healing altar call. I saw them go up, same people, up and back, up and back. Well, they ever saw healing. It was really weird, you know. And you know, while we're talking about hindrances to faith, uh, I was thinking, you know, the guy never taught faith. He never taught how faith works, the mechanics of faith. Just one little doctrine was stopping him from teaching the mechanics of faith so that all those people could be healed. Just one little doctrine. And that doctrine was, you got to speak in tongues to get the Holy Spirit. He was so afraid of preaching he was so afraid of preaching that you believe you have received before seeing something that he couldn't preach faith. The only way people got faith in that church was to hear it on the radio. But the only way they were getting it was getting it in a book that they got out of the bookstore or, uh, or on the radio. And of course people that got an understanding of faith were getting healed, but there was a lot of people that weren't getting healed. There was no boldness there. No boldness towards God. No bold confession of faith. No actions that agreed with faith. All because it wasn't taught. And all, all because also people weren't seeking God for themselves. You know, everybody wants a shortcut. They want somebody to just tell me how it is. So I don't have to get in there and dig for myself. But you know, that's happening all over. Christians are doing that, and they're not coming to know the will of God. They're not maturing in their wisdom about the will of God so that their faith grows. They're depending on other people. And a lot of the other people were like this this pastor that we love dearly, you know. He just, uh, he couldn't pass on what he didn't have. He was a minister who went, but I frankly don't believe was sent. Now, I believe that. Then I didn't. I really looked up to him, you know, because I was a baby Christian, you know, and I trusted him too much. And I trusted him too much. And the Lord brought me to a place where I didn't trust him. And uh, I didn't didn't forget to love him, but uh, he brought me to a place where I didn't trust him. But I saw that, you know. They really couldn't, something that they'd read over and over for years, just one little doctrine could stop could ruin so many other doctrines, so much other knowledge about faith. 
You know, there's just a lot. There's a lot of uh, ministers who who don't live faith, but yet teach faith. That's a real dangerous thing. You know that? There are those that don't hear the word of faith at all, and they don't teach it. They're, hearers and not, they're not hearers and not doers either. But there's those that hear and don't do it. There's those that hear the word of faith and understand it and teach it, and they don't do it. And the only thing they pass on is the same kind of people. People that hear it, but don't do it. I remember a, a real close friend of mine, uh, his name was Mike Burley. He got real disillusioned with the, uh, I always call it the prosperity movement, you know, but it's the faith, the people, you know, every, every group emphasizes some things to the exclusion of everything else, usually. <laughs> But uh, they emphasize some things in the prosperity movement. They emphasize faith, and that's good. Until it comes to faith for what you want instead of what God wants. In other words, not understanding the will of God, not not discipling yourself to the will of God. You know? But he came out of that movement. He was a minister in that movement. And you, we see the, those guys on TV, and they sound like they've got a lot of faith. You know, they sure know how to teach it. They do such a good job of teaching it. But we're really far removed from their lives a lot, you know. But Mike was in there amongst them. And uh, and he saw them, and he got real disillusioned because he discovered these guys talk in good faith. They ain't living. And a lot of people on TV think they are living, but they're not. I'm talking about some of the famous faith preachers that may not be living what they're teaching. You know, there's nothing more destructive to a true doctrine than for somebody to teach that doctrine but not live it. That's not just preachers. That's for us. That's for us to understand. Because that just really drags people down. It really destroys faith. One of the biggest hindrances to faith is people who teach it and don't live it. People who don't teach it, yeah. People who teach it and don't live it, yeah. The only thing we have from the Scriptures and I think in the early church, like look at in Hebrews 13. We've got to live, we've got to be an example of what we tell people. And I, I'm frankly convinced that just as on the day of Pentecost, Jesus wouldn't send his disciples until they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the same today. Jesus don't send disciples. He don't send ministers until they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But I believe there's another condition. Look at Hebrews 13 and, and 7. There's another condition to God ordaining ministers over us. It says, remember them that rule over you. The word have thee wasn't in the original. It was added in. Remember them that rule over you. Men, it spake unto you the word of God. And considering, mine says the issue of their life, but I've got a, a note that says the manner of life. Considering their manner of life, imitate their faith. These are men who spake the word of God 
And he's telling them to consider the manner, their manner of life and imitate their faith. Obviously, ministers in the early church lived and walked by faith, you know. There's a lot of things that will destroy the necessity of living by faith. You, know? you don't have to live by faith if you've got everything provided, everything you need at your fingertips because of your money or whatever, you know. But in the early church, I don't think it was that way. I think we had a lot of strong ministers at the beginning. And uh, he's telling them to consider the, the, the manner of life and uh, mimic or imitate their faith. Obviously, they were men of faith, or he wouldn't have said that. You know? Today, if, pe if people are going to take us seriously, I'm talking about everybody here, seriously, we have got to share things that we obey, or else they won't obey. Ever notice in Romans uh, 15 what Paul said in verse 18? He said, I will not dare to speak any of those things which Christ wrought not through me. Boy, that is that would really just cut off a lot of preaching nowadays, wouldn't it? I will not dare to speak any of those things which Christ wrought not through me. But he didn't, he didn't stop there. He went on. For the obedience of the Gentiles. For the obedience of the Gentiles. In other words, if you sow the right kind of seed then those people will obey, you know. But what he's saying was, he had to be a hearer and a doer of the word or they wouldn't obey. It's the same when we minister to others. We're detrimental to faith in others if we hear but don't do. We hear but don't obey. Because they see that. People don't only listen to you, they see, they watch, you know. You know, Jesus said, don't believe me for my word's sake, but believe me for my work's sake, right? And, you know, how many people have fallen when they thought because of the preaching a certain person was one way, and then because they found out about their life, they found out they were different, and these people fell away. I mean, droves of people have been falling out of the church over the last few years because they discovered that. This person that they lifted up in their put their eyes on uh, on the pedestal, they all of a sudden discovered that down inside they weren't living what they were preaching. And what they did, they fell away. It's true they had their mind and their eyes on the wrong thing. They should have them on Christ, but still, this is human nature we're talking about. You know? I found a good verse, Dave, that I, that I like in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. And uh, I also had the verse in Hebrews 13 written down right next to it, too. So, so I flip-flop back and forth. But, uh, First, First Timothy what? First Timothy 4, 16. Verse 16 says, Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching, preserving these things, for as you do, you will ensure salvation both for yourselves and those who hear you. Mm. So, you know. That's, that might be, you know, kind of like preaching on faith without having it. Preaching on healing, but, you know, being hooked on bills, you know? Yeah. 
uh, preaching on debt-free living, but being up to your earlobes and, and credit card <laughs> debt interest, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you got to, you know, it's like it says, you got to pay close attention to your teachings. I do. You know, it, it's hard to tell, though, you know, who, who you see on TV and who you go into town to see and stuff, because all you can do is listen to them, you know? Yeah. And you're we're supposed to know people by their fruit, you know? But, uh, well, that's why Jesus said about the Pharisees, he said, do as they say, but don't do as they do. <laughs> well, you can hear the truth. You can hear the truth through someone like that. But just don't be cast down in your heart when you find out they don't live it. Because the truth is the truth anyway. Right? Uh, this verse came to me while, while you were saying it. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 13. Well, go back to verse 11 to get the text. It says, For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he's talking about Jesus and us, you know, the life of Jesus and us, right? Mm -hmm. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, the same as what? The same as Jesus, right? Having the same spirit of faith, according to that which is written, I believed, and therefore did I speak. We also believe, and therefore also we speak. The spirit of faith is something that can be passed on to one another. You know, you know the Bible says in 1 John 4, to judge the spirit in people. Doesn't it? says many false prophets are out in the world. And he commands us there to judge their spirit, whether their spirit confesses that Jesus is in that flesh or not. You know? see, see if it's a God. Right. And, of course, some people, or King James kind of made that hard to understand, but mine makes it pretty clear. It's the spirit confessing out of people that Jesus is in there. The same spirit of faith which was in Jesus. That's what we need. The only way you get it is by coming to know Jesus scripturally. Not necessarily the way people teach him, but scripturally. Because you can receive another Jesus. Many Christians do. They receive another spirit like uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 11. Look at that. 2 Corinthians 11. In three, it says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve in his craftsmen, your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity that is toward Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, notice they are preaching Jesus, right? It's just another Jesus. Or you receive a different spirit. See, if they preach another Jesus, you're going to receive a different spirit. How can you receive a different spirit? Because it's simple. You know, our spirits are molded by our understanding. Our spirits are made and created by the word that we receive. Have you ever noticed how different religious people think 
act, talk differently. You see a different spirit in them. You see, you can tell a Baptist from a, you know, Presbyterian or a Baptist from a, a charismaniac. You, know? <laughs> you can tell a difference, can't you? It's easy because their idea of Jesus is different. Right? Well, that's it. He said, if you receive another spirit, a different spirit that you do not receive, or a different gospel, that's what gives you a different spirit, a different gospel, a different spirit of faith. We're supposed to receive the same spirit of faith. You know that uh, the, no, they're not. They're talking about the forming in us of a spirit like Christ. Our personal spirit, not the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it makes a difference, little s instead of big s, right? Right. They have put little s there in mind. To make it easier for us earthly to understand. And I think they're right there. They have no real reason to put that there other than doctrine. But uh, I think they're right there. I believe it is talking about our personal spirit being formed in the image of God. Even though we're born again, our spirit's clean. It's not necessarily educated to the likeness and, and righteousness of Christ. It's clean because he gave us a new spirit and it's sinless. But you have to educate. It's like your conscience is there. Your conscience is being educated by the word of God to what's right and wrong. Right? And that's, of course, what preachers do. Their job is to form in us the same spirit that was in Jesus and the same spirit of faith that was in Jesus. So that we do the things the way Jesus did. And, and if you notice back in Second Corinthians 4, well, let me say this too before we go back there. You know the Antichrist, or the false prophet in Revelation 13, he was given power to give spirit to the image of the beast, wasn't it? Right? Do you know that every preacher gives spirit to his congregation, doesn't he? By the words he speaks, he gives spirit to that congregation. He is forming in that spiritual man an attitude. Right. Notice the spirit in those people. Right. It's the same spirit. They just bring forth after their own kind, right? Yeah. General kind understanding. Well, remember that the Antichrist, according to John, the Antichrist went out from among us. And this false spirit that's being formed, he's forming. He gave spirit, or in most of your translations probably says breath, but it's the same word. He gave spirit to the image of the beast. We're the image of Christ, aren't we? You know something? There's another image in the city. There's another image in the city. The image of the beast. That's the flesh, right? Not only is all the lost world in the image of the beast, but that old flesh is in the image of the beast. He's the seed, the same seed, right? Well, we can receive a bad seed. We can receive another Jesus. We can receive another gospel, and we can receive another spirit. Not the same spirit of faith. And you know what it is? I think part of it is it's faith without works. You know, I think it's a false... There is a false spirit of faith and it's faith without works. Go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and look at that again. If we want the same kind of faith Jesus had, then we have to imitate him. If he said imitate his ministers, he certainly means for us to imitate him, right? 
It says, but, verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, I believe, and therefore did I speak. We also believe, and therefore also we speak, knowing that he raised up the Lord Jesus, that he that raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also with Jesus, and shall present us with you. He believed, and therefore he spoke. So many times we believe, and we don't ever put it into action, and nothing comes of it. Absolutely nothing comes of it. Because faith without works is dead. And yet the same spirit of faith that was in Jesus and the same spirit, for instance, again, almost the same thing is said in Mark 11. Look at Mark 11. It says, have God's faith, Jesus said. And I'm going to tell you what the same spirit is, right? Have God's faith. That's what the numerics says, verse 22 says. Mark 11 and 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have God's faith. That's right. But it's not what it says. Numerically, it's what it says is, Have God's faith. You know, it's not, think about this now, meditate on this in your mind. It's not our faith in God. It's God's faith in us. See what I'm talking about? He said, have God's faith. In other words, this is God's faith. I'm going to show you what God's faith is. You can't have faith in God unless God's faith is in you, right? What he's saying here is have God's faith. And this is what God's faith is. Verse 23. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say, Notice that. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Remember my, my dream I had last week? I don't know if all y'all was here for that dream I shared about the capturing the, the carnal man going through the woods. And, was y'all, was you here for that? I, I had a dream. I woke up all oh, about a week ago, I guess. And I had a group of people going with me through the woods. And I knew that we had been attacked by Giants. We were consistently being attacked by giants around us, you know. And I had captured one of the enemy, and I was bringing him along with me. Except he wasn't a giant, he was my size. So, as we were walking down this trail, I noticed off on the side a giant who had noticed us. This giant was looking at us, and he saw us, and he saw that we had noticed him. Okay? And, uh, this guy that I had captured who was walking with us, he looked at the giant and he said, bigger, bigger, bigger. And I said, no, smaller, smaller, smaller. I knew that he had power to make that giant bigger. And I had power to make that giant smaller. And so I grabbed him by the hair of the head and I pulled his head back. And this is a dream, you realize, you know, and I chopped him with a Karate chop right in the Adam's apple. And I said, when you die, he dies. And the Lord, when I woke up, the Lord gave me the revelation that this guy that I chopped was my flesh. You know? My flesh looks at the circumstances of the world and he speaks the wrong things. 
He speaks bigger, bigger, bigger. We speak according to the flesh. We speak according to sight. And we just make things worse. Instead, what we need to do is put the flesh out of business. Because when the flesh dies, when the flesh is not allowed to speak, and we speak, the spiritual man speaks, it gets smaller, smaller, smaller. Yeah? Notice what Jesus said here. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, it's not just faith, it's not just believing, it's not just having right thinking. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. So it's believing in the heart and coming out of the mouth. It's faith and works. Have God's faith. This is God's faith. It's faith and works. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Whosoever shall say, now Jesus in Matthew 10 and 32 said, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. In other words, in order to get Jesus to move in our behalf in what we desire by faith, we're going to have to confess it before men. We're going to have to speak some things that we would be very foolish if we didn't believe God was backing those words up. You know, you're like, you're stepping out on it, you're stepping out by faith on a bridge, you know. But uh, when you say things, if there's no physical way you can bring them to pass, then either God backs you up or you look like a fool. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be walking by faith in Him, you know, living dangerously, you know, burning our bridges behind us. Uh, but doesn't it say the same thing in Romans 10 and 10? You know, it says, it says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is going to be no salvation until the confession is made. It's good to believe it, but it can't just stop there. It's not God's faith until the action is, is brought to pass. That's the biggest hindrance to our faith, I think, is faith without works. Number one, not knowing the will of God. And after knowing it, being a hearer and not a doer. We build our house on the sand. And we hear the word and we won't put some action to it. Like when, when God spoke to Mary and he said, If you believe, in other words, prove your belief to me. If you believe that I've healed you, why are you taking that medicine? He said, very plainly, this is when he was very ignorant of the ways of faith. Well, we had our eyes open that day. Boy, if you say you believe, then your actions better prove it. Otherwise, you're wasting your breath. Right, man? Right, yeah. uh, Anybody else have anything to say? Just jump right in. Hindrances. You all fail. You know, there's other things. There's other. I was thinking about this a while back. In Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, the children of Israel had just conquered the first city in the promised land. They just conquered Jericho, and they were going on to Ai to conquer 
Ai. And uh, they sent out spies to check the enemy's strength at Ai. The spies <clears throat> said that they're just a small number. It says, we don't really need to send to worry all the people going out against Ai. Let's just send a small group. So they sent 3,000 people against Ai. And uh, for some reason, in verse 5, all of the hearts of the people melted. All of God's people turned and ran, you know. They only lost 36 men. It wasn't a great battle, and they must have been running mighty fast, you know. 3,000 people, and they only lost 36 men. Look, they must have been running fast. <laughs> because, you know, when your enemy turns in front of you, you take advantage of that. You just, you know, do as many in as possible. They only lost 36 minutes. Like, and they acted as though there was a great slaughter, you know. 36 men out of 3,000. They acted as though it was a great sin. But evidently, they lost faith. Because verse 5 says, And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua ran his clothes and fell down to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel. They put dust upon their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, wherefore hast thou and all at all brought this people over the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to cause us to perish? Would that we had been content and dwelt beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say after that Israel hath turned their backs before their enemies? Well, to make a long story short, the Lord said in verse 10, he says, Wherefore art thou fallen upon thy face? Israel has sinned. They lost their faith because there was a sin in the midst of the camp, right? Verse 11. Israel has sinned. Yea, they have even transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. Yea, they have even taken of the devoted thing or the cursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled. And they have even put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they are become accursed. I will not be with you anymore except you destroy the devoted thing or the cursed thing from among you. And in verse 13 it says, Thou canst not stand before your enemies till you take away the cursed thing. From among them. Hmm? Right. But in what way does God withdraw? In what way did God withdraw from them? In, in, huh? He let their enemies overcome. But the first thing that happened was they lost faith. They had fear. They lost faith. Faith is a gift from God, right? The Bible says. One of the first things God does, you know, people, I've read, I've listened to a lot of tapes, I know you all have and read books about hindrances to our faith, right? You know, there's one that most everybody leaves out. One of the biggest hindrances to our faith is God himself. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Since he's the one that gives faith, he's the one that can keep it. In this case, he did keep it. <laughs> he kept it because there was sin in the midst of the camp. Achan, 
Back in verse 1, it says the children of Israel committed a trespass in the devoted thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the devoted thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Well, what he took and hid underneath his tent uh, in verse 21 was a Babylonish mantle. Now, what's a mantle? Yeah. Yeah. This is covering. It's uh, the thing that sticks out to me was like when when uh, Elijah left his mantle for Elisha. You know, it was like this is the anointing. This is my anointing on you. You know, uh, my spirit on you. You know, he had a, a double blessing of the spirit that Elijah had. We well, asked for a double portion. Didn't yeah, he asked for a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah. And uh, so that Babylonish garment is like the spirit or the anointing of Babylon. And this was underneath his tent. This is what his tent was founded upon, right? This is what his, this is the foundation to his tent was a Babylonish garment. And I'm just thinking about, you stop and think about it, man. Think back at all the churches you've ever been to. Think about where the faith is. You ever notice that the further down in Babylon you go, the less faith they have? You ever notice that? The more bondage to the traditions of man that you go, the more of the Babylonish anointing and spirit is there, the less faith they have. Some of them absolutely teach you no faith. None. Because they don't know that faith is believing for something you can't see. If they speak only works, no faith. And even the Pentecostal churches, like this first Pentecostal church that we went to, there was no faith there. There was faith to accept Jesus. They didn't even seek the Holy Spirit by faith. They sought the Holy Spirit by works. Because I did it myself. I saw you. I jumped up on altars, did all kinds of things to try to get the Holy Spirit because I didn't know. You just receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Don't wait for the manifestation. Receive it by faith. I did. I was waiting for the manifestation. I was doing just what they were telling me. They won't teach me anything. That's not what I had a Babylonish mantle. Huh? That's not what Hebrews 11 1 says, though. No, it isn't. What did, they, what did that particular doctrine say about Hebrews 11 1 that says, you know, faith is having it before you see it, you know? What did they say about there was that? one brother in there that tried to show me that because he heard it on the radio. <laughs> and he tried to tell me, Dave. He tried to tell me, Dave, you have to believe you have to see. And it took me a while for it to sink in. God gave me a gift of faith and I finally received it. But they sure weren't saying that. They were so afraid that you would think you could get the Holy Ghost and not speak in tongues. But they weren't going to say, believe you have received before they saw the manifestation. So it blocked them from so much truth. Yeah. That Babylonish mantle blocked them from so much truth. But he goes on to talk about the gold and the silver that he coveted and stuck underneath his tent. You know? Those that think godliness is a way of gain. Yeah. Uh, there's no faith in the people that have hoarded up the things of this world because their faith is in hoarding up. That's the reason they do it, is there's no faith. You know? uh, again, 
when we're losing out to our enemies, no matter what way you want to see that, whether it's in your soul, whether it's in circumstances, whether it's against the devil, when we're losing out to our enemies, it's because we don't have any faith. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. One of the first things you're going to do when you displease God is you're going to lose out on faith. Then you're going to start losing out with your enemies. And every way you turn, you start losing out with your enemies. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Because the more you lose, the more faith you lose. You know? Didn't Israel have that cycle? I don't know. I think it's almost yeah. a 40 year cycle. But they would have prosperity and abundance, and then they would have uh, disbelief, and then they would have lacking, and then they'd be on their bellies like snakes in a wheel track, and then they'd get back up. How many people do you know like that? Yeah, and then they'd have faith, and then they would have prosperity, and then they'd raise their hand, and then slack off and chill out, and well, they have nothing again. And well, I'm glad you brought that up. Look in, uh, look in uh, Psalm 116, I believe it is. Because the verse we quoted in Second uh, Corinthians 4 comes out of Psalm 116. And that cycle that you're talking about, Pete, is right there. How many times we see people, how many times have we gone through that cycle? You know? Psalm 116, yeah, that's it. I don't know who wrote Psalm 116, but... <laughs> but he obviously knew about life. <laughs> and he knew about our tribulations, you know. Uh, let's read this because I saw the cycle here when I read on this and meditated on it once. The cycle, just like Pete's talking about. It says, I love the Lord because he heareth my voice and my supplication. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death compassed me. 116.3, the cords of death compassed me, and the pains of Sheol got hold upon me, and I found trouble and sorrow. He got into one of them pits, you know, that, that just don't seem to be any way out of. It's like looking at the giant, face to face with the giant. You know, oh boy, no hope, you know. No hope in myself anyway, you know. He got into that pit. Who knows whether it was because of his sins or whatever, you know, many times we do get in there because of our sins. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. You know, the first thing we do is cry out to the Lord, you know. You know, we're, but we're not in the rest, and we're not in the peace when we're crying out, are we? We're in the anguish, and we got our eyes on the circumstance. And we're worried, right? That's when we're crying out, right? Lord, save me, you know, help me, you know, deliver me from this, this mess, you know. But watch. It's as gracious as the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. When are you in the rest? Are you in the rest when you're crying out? Or are you in the rest when you believe the promise? When you have joy. Right. Peace. You're in the rest when there's no more anxiety because you've believed God's promises. Right? Well, did he was he in that position when he was crying out? No, he wasn't. He had his eyes on the circumstance and he wanted deliverance, right? Like we get so many times. One deliverance. 
But when he got his eyes on the promise, started speaking the promise, then he got into the rest. He says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Look at that, the next verse. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Now, verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Notice he said, I will, because of what he just said, he will. He said, I believe, for I will speak. Does anybody say something different there? Mine says, I, mine says, I believe, for I will speak. Anybody have something different there? In 10? Verse, yeah, verse 10. I believe when I say it. Okay. I am greatly afflicted. See, this is where 2 Corinthians 4.13 comes from. I, no, I, I believe that part is covered. Okay, good. In other words, the proof, the proof that he believed, the proof that he entered into rest was that he spoke, right? And the way to enter into rest is to speak it too. And I'm convinced that the devil don't necessarily hear all of our thoughts. <laughs> you know? I remember one time when I was praying in a camp meeting, there must have been, I don't know, eight or 10,000 Pentecostals there praying. And, uh, at one time, hundreds of them received the Holy Spirit. I was very impressed. This wave of the Holy Spirit moved over that place. And to them, receiving the Holy Spirit from spoken tongues, you know. So, I mean, it was just a wave of people in there worshiping God. And, and uh, many people speak or ask everybody to stand up and spoken tongues. And just hundreds of people had received the Holy Spirit there at that time, you know, just from worshiping. You know. In fact, the guy even stopped the music. You know. You know how good you worship the Lord with the music style? He said, look, it's easy to, easy to uh, worship the Lord with the music flowing. He says, let's see if you can worship the Lord with the music style. So they cut all the music out and people just started worshiping. And you could tell it was getting a little louder and a little more from the heart. You know? And all of a sudden, there was just a wave of the Holy Spirit went through there. And just hundreds were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I asked everybody to stand up. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then just... Goes and people stood up. But at any rate, uh, I received the Holy Spirit. Huh? You think that was a revival that night? It was a revival, and then he. <laughs> and uh, but any, at any rate, that was the, the week I received the Holy Spirit. I uh, I knew when I went down to the altar, I was going to receive the Holy Spirit because God had given me a gift of faith. And I went down there and I did receive, and I spoke in tongues. That's how. I, because I was walking by sight, right? But the Lord had mercy on me. But at any rate, when I went back to our motel room, Mary and I went back to the motel room that night, and we went to bed, have you ever felt an evil presence, just a strong evil presence? You can't see nothing, you don't feel nothing, but you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the devil just walked in the room or somebody just like him, you know? And that's the way I felt. I felt my spirit man draw up because something very evil just walked in the room. You know? I felt it. It was strong. I was sure. I was absolutely sure. And I said many day after that that the devil came in the room. Well, maybe it wasn't a devil. Maybe it was a demon. But whatever it was, it was one 
of them. <laughs> okay, and uh, I thought my I thought in my mind I was I was fearful, you know, and I thought in my mind, go in the name of Jesus, go in the name of Jesus, go in the name of Jesus. And you know, then the Lord spoke to me, and He said, "You better say it out of your mouth." The Lord spoke to me. That was the night I received the Holy Spirit. The devil was wasn't too happy about it, you know. And the Lord said, you better say that out of your mouth. Now, I always remember that. But you know, it's not good enough in your mind. You better say it out of your mouth. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. The authority over the devil didn't come until I spoke. Yeah. Well, that's works, isn't it? Speaking. Yeah, that's true. Faith without works is dead. Yeah. So, so it's just not faith. You know? Oh, I hope no. he's going to leave. I hope he's going to leave. It's not, it is not faith. It is really not faith. Yeah. Here's, here's the point. We believe, therefore, we speak. Mm -hmm. The proof of faith is in the action. It's not in the thought. Mm -hmm. God is going to judge us by our works, not by our thoughts. The Bible says he's going to judge us by our works. He's, in other words, you're saved by faith. Then he's judging your faith according to what you do. God can judge all of our faith according to what we do. The proof of our faith is what we do. And faith is not made perfect until works are involved. James chapter 2 says, right? Until the works come along, faith is worthless. It's not made perfect until the works come along. And many Christians are ineffective because they don't understand it. We can boldly, we need to boldly speak what we feel in our heart. Believe in our heart and confess it or not. We need to boldly speak it. But anyway, that's where he was. He came to the place where he thought, well, I believe it and I'll speak it. You know, He came into the rest of God. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation. And call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord. Yea, in the presence of all of his people. Notice that too. I'll pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of all of his people. You know something? We need to worship God in front of other people. You know, the old flesh don't want to do that. I can remember back when I went to, first went into that Pentecostal church. You know, my flesh just didn't want to get a stand up and raise my hands and Praise the Lord along with them. And I know that there was a lot of carnality there, but the biggest carnal thing there was me. <laughs> I didn't want to get up there and do that in front of people, you know. My flesh just, just didn't want to, because I was a real reserved person anyway, you know. But I noticed the more I did it, the more my flesh was put death and the easier it came. You know? you know what I can relate that to? Is you're on the phone with somebody like your mom or your dad or your spouse or something. And you got a room full of people, like at work or something, and they say, "Okay, well, goodbye. I love you." And you're supposed to say, "Okay, I love you too." But instead, people in the room say, "Say, okay, I'll see you." And then they'll say, "What are you supposed to say?" Oh, uh -huh, yeah, okay, uh huh, uh -huh, uh huh. No, I know there's a room full of people in there. You gonna say it? <laughs> what? You know? So it's just like that, you know? Just like that. And everybody's done that once oh, in a while. Yeah. I know I have, you know. Much people. You know? I, I remember going to this church over in, in Louisiana. The name of it was Life Tabernacle, and it was a it was a Pentecostal type, an old time type Pentecostal type church. 
And uh, you go in there, and their big thing was they liked to run, you know. They'd get out there and run around the auditorium and praise the Lord, raise their hands, praise the Lord, and shout. And, you know, just sometimes the whole church would be running around, you know. And I'm not recommending it, but uh, uh, I used to, I had people tell me that they were really carnal because they did all that in the flesh. And I went there one time just to see what was going on. And you know, I, I had the distinct impression that the Lord wanted me to come against my flesh and do what they were doing. It didn't matter that they weren't being moved by the Spirit. It mattered that they would go against their flesh and I wouldn't. You know, it is of the Spirit that we put to death our flesh. It is of the Spirit that we come against our flesh. They had a couple of rooms in that building too. And all the men would go in one room and the women would go in another room. And they just get in there and turn all the lights out and run up and down in that room, praising and worshiping the Lord. Yeah. I kidding you. And you had to stand. I went in there one time and it took me five minutes before I could see my hand in front of my face, you know. And after your eyes got accustomed to what was, what was there, then you could walk around and do things, you know. So I just decided one day I was going to put my flesh to death. And I got in there and started running up and down with them and praising the Lord and jumping up and down. I, you know, stand going, jump around a while. And, Praise the Lord. Run up and down. Just run up and down. Praise the Lord. And, you know, I discovered it was good for me. You know, I was doing it in the flesh. I was doing it against the flesh. What I was doing, I was doing it against the flesh. And it was good for me. It was really a blessing to me. You know, you see what it was. We came from one Pentecostal church that believed the same doctrine as this Pentecostal church did, but it was a different denomination. And they said they did all that in the flesh. Of course, it was anything to be critical of this other group. So you wouldn't go over there to them, you know. Well, that was just enough for me, rebellious as I was. I wanted to go see about it, you know. So I did. I went and got hooked on their, their worship, you know. But, you know, yeah, it's true. It's true that they weren't being moved by the Spirit. But it's also true they were coming against their flesh. And that's what we all got to do. Well, some of that pee jumping is definitely in the Spirit. Isn't oh, yeah. Like that guy that oh, yeah. you were telling me about that uh, he would run on top of the pews. Well, that, that was what they would say was duck, in the spirit. And duck, you know, right. if you want to hit on that a little bit. I saw some tremendous things. I saw some miracles, I tell you. With his eyes closed, he had duck right before he ducked. Yeah, that was a big auditorium I saw this guy doing it. He jumped up on the front pew, on the backs of the pews, up here, you see. Took off running wide open with his eyes closed. <laughs> From pew to pew. Yeah, just like that. Ran all the length of the auditorium with his eyes closed, and there was a balcony in the back. And I, I was sitting right where the balcony came down, and I was watching this guy. You know, he was running along there, just. And I looked at him; his eyes were just solid closed, you know. And he ran up to this balcony, and just before he bashed his head into that balcony, <laughs> he just gracefully dug his head and kept on running, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Now that was in the spirit. Yeah. They had another lady there that would uh, that, that loved to dance going backwards. She'd dance, bowing down all the way to the floor, running backwards. Not seeing where she was going. She wasn't seeing where she was going. She was running backwards, just like this. Bowing down, down the floor. Went all down the stairs, all the way around the auditorium, never bumping into a thing, and all the way back up. Backwards, down there. That was in the spirit. Saw so people jump out of the choir loft 
and clear the altar, land on the other side of the altar, and run 90 miles an hour around corners without ever slowing down. Look, you know how you have to slow down to make a corner? Well, these guys never did that. I believe I'd have to buy the tape on that one. I saw it. I saw it. You know what would happen? The whole congregation would just bust loose. You know, just every, when they, somebody would do that, it's just like the whole congregation bust loose. Well, I'd, I'd watch him. This one particular guy, when the spirit hit him, that's what would happen to him. He'd take off running. He jumped out of the choir hall, one leap, and cleared over the podium and over the altar and landed on the floor and took off running. And I watched him going down this side, and by the time I turned my head this way, he was coming up the other side. I saw him with his eyes closed one day, clear a little kid who jumped, stepped out in the aisle, a little kid playing in the aisle. And I was right there, you know, and I saw him, and he ran off, jumped over that kid, just kept on going, never broke stride, just kept on running. You know? That's what we would have called in the spirit. But the thing the Lord showed me about it was, you need to come against your flesh. You need to humble yourself. And so that you won't worry about what other people are thinking around you. Who cares? You know, the worship God expects us to worship in front of other people, like it says in that verse right there. You know, confess him before men. We need to break loose in the spirit and worship God and don't give a care about what the next guy's thinking, you know. Don't care about what the next guy's thinking. Who cares? You know? But when you start doing it, other people will do it too. It makes it easier for them, you know. I'm not talking about jumping Jews. We ain't yeah. got any, but I'm just, you know. No, you, you can't say if we ever get out of something. You have to start doing it. That's what I discovered. You have to start going against your flesh. Your flesh is there. Your flesh is the enemy of God. The Bible says. Don't worry about other people. You have to come against your flesh. You have to put it to death. You have to do things just... In, for spite. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like speaking in tongues, you know, the faucet is down below in your chest and your vocal cords is right under the tongue. Yeah. That's what all also it is. I mean, one millimeter from sand, you know, so, so you just gotta, yeah. You know, and the, the, what Dave was talking about, I can personally relate to that because the very first night I had a, a, my first manifestation of speaking in tongues, I was praying. I was in my little rinky-dink mobile home, you know. And then, uh, I don't know, the ceilings in a mobile home are, you know, seven and a half, seven and a half feet hot. But 20 feet up, I saw two big red beams shining down. And you know what it looks like in a bar when you shine a flashlight, you can actually see the beams? That's what these red lights were. And I was wide awake. These red beams were coming straight down at me. And uh, and Dave never told me about, you know, his his experience, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, I just said, you know, that's exactly what I said. In Jesus' name, you must leave now. And just like getting the light switch on. You might just ran off. You might just ran off a couple of Lord's angels. Yeah, that was, that was, that was big red, big red beaming lights like that. You know, even though Jesus is supposed to have red eyes. Yeah, that wasn't a Jesus feeling. Okay, okay, I got divine. You, you know, event, you. you know, like I said, if it was, you know, or or have a or an audible voice. Who do you think I am? You know, <laughs> in the name of Jesus, you must leave. Who do you think I am? Why do you want me to leave? But, uh, but it's, you know, so I, I was troubled with that, and I asked Dave about that, and then he told me what happened to him, you know, 
And then he said, yeah, you know, anytime you, you know, further along your Christian walk, you know, you're a threat to Satan's kingdom, you know, so. Jesus knows that we're no threat to Satan's kingdom before being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I told him to tear in yours. Don't bother going against the enemy. You just sit there and pray. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's power. He said, I'll offer to thee the sacrifice. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord. Yea, in the presence of all of his people. In the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise you, the Lord. Where I was going before I came here was in Deuteronomy 28. But it seems to fit very good with this. Uh, Did you see the cycle there? You know, When we get ourselves into trouble... We cry out. Then we remember, oh yeah, I gotta believe the word. <laughs> I already got that power. I gotta believe and confess the word. Then we enter into rest, peace, mm-hmm. and then the manifestation ever comes and we get delivered. But I was thinking about Deuteronomy twenty eight and forty seven. There's a lot of reasons why we lose out to our enemies, I guess. The biggest one, of course, is a loss of faith. But it says here, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, by reason of the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies that the Lord will send against thee. Since faith is a victory that overcomes the world, the first thing you lose in not joyfully serving the Lord is your faith. And your enemies begin to whoop up on you. you know. uh, the Lord, the Lord wants us to live a cheerful, joyful, praising, rejoicing life. You say, yeah, Dave, but it says by reason of the abundance of all things, and maybe I don't have all things. But you know we do. Here's the point. What is the point? We have been blessed in all things, haven't we? Doesn't the Bible say that? Mm-hmm. It says Abraham was blessed in all things in Genesis 24, 1, I think. And it says in, in Galatians chapter 3 that we've been given the blessings of Abraham, you know, because Jesus bore the curse for us, right? And so we have been blessed with the abundance of all things. And it's so easy to fall into a grumbling and complaining attitude because of trials, troubles, and tribulations. Instead of confessing the word, rejoicing in the word, giving thanks in the word, praising the Lord, the Bible says give thanks always for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. During the Exodus, how could the people murmur and complain so much? I mean, when they see water coming from the rock, they see part of the Red Sea, they see manna, they, you know... They they, forgot quick, didn't they? Yeah, their (laughs) flip-flops never wearing out. You know, their Nikes never need to be resold. You know, how could they... Mm-hmm. Why does it happen to us then? We got the Holy Spirit. We do the same thing. Why do we grumble and complain sometimes because of situations? Yeah. Don't we remember what God did for us? We need to avoid grumbling, complaining, moaning, and groaning like it was poison because it is. Yeah. Uh, we need to, you know, can you imagine? Here's God has chosen us out of the thousands that are around us. 
to come to know his word, to receive his revelation, and to uh, receive of the blessings that he's given us. And we could possibly grumble and complain. Can you imagine? Doing great things. And not uh, believe. Yeah. Well, There's a lot of, you know, because uh, Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know? and we can, you know, I can speak for myself, Christians or, or believers, a lot of them have a lot of faith. But they don't have total faith, and they're lacking in some. You know, they might be super strong in some things, but but you know, just you know. Yeah, that book that we that I was sharing out of a while back about the lady that went to hell. You know? Can you imagine that lady coming back out of hell and not being thankful? Ooh. Thankful that she was chosen. She wasn't thankful. Out of the few to escape that place. Was she thankful? Oh yeah, she's thankful. But I mean, she, oh, yeah. don't we have the same responsibility? Mm -hmm. We haven't been there, but we still escaped that place because of God's grace and mercy. Shouldn't we be thankful? We need to remember what God saved us from and what he gave to us. Talk about doubt a little bit. Well, let's look at the anatomy of doubt a little bit. Maybe we can see there isn't any doubt. Mark 11 and 23 says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Therefore I say unto you, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you shall have it. That's a powerful promise. It's got a big if in the middle of it, doesn't it? You shall not doubt in your heart. I guess that's one of the biggest robbers of the blessings of God that we have, right? Doubt. And there's so many promises and so many exhortations going through the scriptures on this same thing. And I guess it's something that everybody's experienced. That's, you know, some sins, some people haven't experienced, but this is one everybody's experienced. And it's something we need to look at as a sin, too. A sin for which Christ died. A sin that he took away from us at Calvary. Um, something that we need to repent of. Something that's offensive to God. Pretty good exhortation against doubt is in Romans 4, in verse 20. Doubt describes quite a few ways in the scriptures. Right here's kind of described as wavering, right? Romans 4.19 says, And without being weakened in his faith, he considered Abraham, considered not his own body, and as good as dead, he being a hundred years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not. Yet looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. And if we're going to give glory to God, it'll be because we're keeping our eyes upon the Word of God and not wavering through unbelief. Another, another exhortation is in Hebrews chapter 10. 
verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, that it waver not, for he is faithful that promised. In other words, God's word can be dependent upon if we waver not through unbelief. Another one I like is in uh, verse uh, 38. Same chapter, Hebrews 10, verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Shrinking back. There's only one way to go if you shrinking back from faith, and that is towards unbelief in the direction of doubt. Right? You know there's a difference between unbelief and doubt? Have you thought about it? Hmm? Look in James chapter 1. Let's look at the difference. I'd rather have doubt any day than unbelief, but I don't want either one of them, right? <laughs> in James 1 and uh, verse 5, he says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. Of course, you could you could say this about it, all the promises of God, right? Let him ask of God, and it shall be given, right? But the condition again that we've seen in so many other places, right here, let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he that doubteth is like the surge of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. But let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubt. For he that doubteth. The word there for doubt or doubteth is diacrino, and it means to contend or defer. And it means to be like an argument in your mind. Remember, you ever get, get that argument in your mind between what's natural for old worldly self and what the Word of God says? Somewhere in between there. It's where we are a lot of times arguing about which to obey, which to keep in our mind, which to hold fast to. But it says... He that doubteth is like the surge of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. You know, as I meditated on this, I, I guess it's hard to escape the fact that, that we're like the sea. Humanity is like the sea. In the scriptures, many times, they're likened unto the sea. Like in Revelation 17, uh, the harlot who sat upon many waters. And then Revelation 17 and 15 describes those many waters as peoples, nations, tribes, tongues, you know. Uh, or in Revelation 13 and 1, when the beast came up out of the sea, right? The sea, of course, is humanity, people, all natural man, right? And many times our natural man is tossed around, you know, not knowing which way to go. In this instance, it's being driven by the wind. It's surge of the sea or a wave of the sea. I don't know what yours says. Mine says surge. Or a wave of the sea. 
just tossed. You know? Anything come to your mind when with the word wind? No? Something that tosses your human nature back and forth. Winds of doctrine. Yeah, that's a good one. That's in uh, that's in Ephesians four. Ephesians four and uh, verse um, fourteen. And verse thirteen is talking about the, uh, the fullness of Christ. Says that we may be no longer children. Verse fourteen, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in the craftiness after the wiles of error. Wind of doctrine. Or wind of teaching. Or understanding. That's what I see the wind as, is our teaching, our understanding, what we what we believe, what we have on the inside of us, you know. We can be tossed around by or we can be tossed between knowing the will of God and knowing what's natural and what's normal, you know. The miraculous ways of God aren't natural and they aren't normal and we weren't raised up understanding them. Many times we don't see them, you know. And so we're tossed between the promises of the Word of God and what's natural and normal for this creation, right? Because the promises of the Word of God are supernatural. So we're, ta- we're tossed between the natural and the supernatural a lot of times. Tossed back and forth. Uh, contending in our mind. Diacrino. Uh, doubting in our mind. Uh, verse 8 in James chapter 1 says a double-minded man. It literally means a two-souled man. Two-souled man. Now we know we don't have but one soul. But in many, many ways our soul is schizophrenic. It's split between the flesh and the spirit. And tossed, we're tossed back and forth between the two. Whether they'll listen to the mind of the flesh or whether they'll listen to the mind of the spirit. Two souls. Blown about. The difference between unbelief and doubt is unbelief comes from the mind of the flesh. But doubt is being tossed back and forth between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit, faith. The mind of the spirit is faith. The fruit of the spirit is faith. One of the fruits of the spirit is faith in Ephesians. You can't have doubt unless you have faith. You understand that? You can't have doubt unless you have faith. Huh? That's right. You're not tossed. You're not tossed back and forth. The lost world is not doubting. They're just in unbelief. (laughs) Well, we believe it. We believe the word of God. We all confess we believe the word of God. It's just that when we get in the midst of a trial, we're tempted because of fear sometimes or or other motives. You know, Uh, we're tempted to believe what's natural for this creation. We're tempted to believe what we see. Because it's so easy, yeah. We're afraid to believe in what we don't see, which is the promises of the Word of God and faith. And we become double-minded. And of course, the curse for double-mindedness is just like the curse for lukewarmness. You know, you don't get nothing, you know. In three different ways there in James 1 from 5 through 8, he says, 
basically the same thing. You're being tossed back and forth between, well, you know, we can have wisdom. And we do have wisdom. Anybody that's got the Spirit of God's got wisdom. The matter is, in the midst of temptation or in the midst of trial, are we going to listen to the wisdom of God or are we going to listen to the wisdom of man? Because if both of those voices speak in us, you know. In any trial, both of those voices are what we hear. And that's what doubt is, basically. Being tossed back and forth. In Romans 8, Paul talks about, he doesn't specifically say it's doubt, but he talks about the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit and being tossed back and forth. Everything we want from God, we're going to get because we listen to the spirit and deny the flesh, ignore the flesh. Everything we want from God is that way. Our spirit doesn't have the ability to disbelieve because it's born from God. It's born from above. It's it's created in the image of Jesus' spirit. And the Holy Spirit that dwells in our spirit certainly doesn't have the ability to disbelieve because his fruit is faith, Galatians says. But in Romans 8 and uh, verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the ordinance of the law might be fulfilled in us, to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In other words, the ordinance of the law cannot be fulfilled in us if we walk after the mind of the flesh and not after the spirit. And yet Jesus said that uh, what he spoke was to bring us to fulfill the law. Everything that Jesus came to do was to bring us to fulfill the law. Not obey it in the letter, but to fulfill it. And yet he's saying here in Romans 8 and uh, verse uh, 4, that the ordinance of law can't be fulfilled if we walk after the flesh and not after the Spirit. Verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Those that are following after the flesh are going to listen to in the time of doubt or in the time of temptation, they're going to listen to the old mind. They're going to listen to the mind of the flesh. And they're not going to fulfill the law. They're not going to see the blessings of God. All these exhortations that we've read so far, you know, prove that God won't bless us while we walk in doubt, while we listen or while we're tossed between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit, we cannot be blessed. We cannot fulfill the law. We cannot receive the blessings. And some people say, well, what's the, what can we do about it? I think the first thing we've got to do is instead of exerting more willpower, is to repent. Many times we don't think. We think of unbelief as just a weakness, you know. But it's more than a weakness, it's a sin. It's something that we need to repent of. 
It's something we need to confess to God. We confess it to God, faithful and just, forgive us and to cleanse us. But wisdom will deliver us from walking that way because the more we walk after the Spirit and obey the mind of the Spirit, the more the mind of the flesh will die out. And the less trouble we'll have with doubt. Some people think we'll doubt, we'll have trouble with doubt all of our Christian life, and that is true. Many people, because they don't consistently walk after the Spirit, they do have trouble with doubt all their Christian life. But um, if we seek to walk after the Spirit, the less of the mind of the flesh we're going to hear, because the more it's going to die out. And that's where unbelief comes from. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Just as you can't listen to the Spirit and hear doubt and hear unbelief and hear anything that's going to harm you, and hear anything that's going to bring you into death, just so you can't listen to the mind of the flesh and get life from it. You can't listen to the mind of the flesh and receive healing or deliverance or God's blessings. And doubt is when you're tossed back and forth, you're being lukewarm about listening to the mind of the Spirit. Doubt is when you're tossed back and forth Listening to the mind of the flesh in one moment and listening to the mind of the spirit in the next. Being divided in your attention. The mind of the flesh is natural. It's normal. It's what we were raised up to, to follow. And if contrary to the spirit, which is supernatural and normal to the kingdom which we're going to. It says because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. And neither indeed can it be. And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If we listen to the mind of the flesh, we cannot please God. And just like so many other times when Paul is given an exhortation, he ends it up with a word of faith. He's ending this up with a word of faith too. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwells in you. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. We've been given the mind of Christ. Remember when we studied that in 1 Corinthians? The mind of Christ is the spirit of God. He knows all the things of God. And he really shows them to us. But verse 12 says, So then, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. If we walk after the Spirit, the deeds of the body and the mind of the flesh will die. The more it dies, the less doubt we have to wrestle with. Since doubt is a wrestling between truth and error and natural and supernatural and spirit and flesh, then the more we walk after the Spirit, the less doubt we're going to have trouble with. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. See, now you got an idea too what, the, what, the son, what a son of God is. A son of God. 
The Son of God, God is one who has crucified the flesh and is walking after the Spirit. Because as long as you're in doubt, as long as you're wavering, it means you're part of the time being led by the Spirit, part of the time being led by the flesh. And children are always in that area. Thank God for the blood of Jesus, you know, because we're forgiven, we're accepted in Christ. But sons are they who are matured in walking in faith. For you receive not a spirit of bondage unto fear. Notice that. But you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. If you anytime listen to fear or any kind of anxiety or depression or any of these voices of the devil, they keep you in bondage to what? They keep you in bondage to the mind of the flesh. Because when you give in to fear, you give in to the flesh. You ever heard those fearful voices when you were attempting to believe God for something? These voices of fear, they seek to drive you back into the mind of the flesh to accept something that you're comfortable with. You know, that your flesh is comfortable with. But boy, your flesh is not comfortable walking on that water. It's not comfortable. And so fear comes along. It's one of, one of the devil's big cannons, you know. It's one of his big weapons. To drive you back over in there to walk after the mind of the flesh. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee upon the waters. And he said, Come. And Peter went down from the boat and walked upon the waters to come to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and took hold of him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were gone up into the boat, the wind ceased. And they that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, as I meditated on this boat that they were in, I, I, the Lord showed me very clearly what the, the sea is. The sea is our humanity that's tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine. When we're in the midst of a trial, boy, we're just a mess, aren't we, sometimes? You know, just our flesh flitting this way and that, and our thoughts flitting this way and that. And we just don't know what to do sometimes, you know, because of our understanding. Jesus had such peace in the midst of the same situation the disciples lost their wits in. And it was one main reason, because of his understanding and because he listened to the mind of the Spirit. But when I was meditating on this, I felt like the boat represented the physical things that we trust in to save us from the trial. You know what I'm talking about? So many times there's something physical that we set our hope upon, we set our faith upon, rather than stepping out on the water with nothing holding us up but faith, right? The physical things that the disciples were, were trusting in, you, you could probably see a lot of things, you know. Um, things that are seen, there are always things that are seen. 
Some people trust in their religion to get them to heaven. You know, all their faith is in, oh, I'm this or I'm that. You know, I'm I'm going because of this or that. You know, or I believe this or that. Some people, it's their money that's, that's their savior. You know, they get into trouble. They know they're they're going to have insurance to take care of them. You know, some people, it's doctors. Sometimes, some people, it's other people. You know that they trust them when they get in a situation. They run to mommy or daddy. You know, or whatever. You know. Yeah. Or the bank, you know, or whatever. You know. Many times in our life, there are physical things that we put our trust in. Things that are we feel are a buffer zone between us and trial or tribulation. And they are. They separate us from the trial or tribulation. Many times they save us from the trial or tribulation. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm convinced that the Lord's perfect will is for us to step out of the boat. Because it is pleasing unto God. As we saw, as we read about Abraham, it's very pleasing unto God that we walk by faith in Him and trust only in Him. But when you step out of the boat, there's only, there's nothing between you and the tribulation or the trial but your faith. It was the only thing to help Peter up. You've heard a lot of times that at least Peter got out of the boat. And that's true. You may fail a few times when you do get out of the boat. Now, the difference between unbelief and doubt is that the disciples in the boat were in unbelief. But Peter was in doubt. Peter became tossed between the word of God, which was spoken unto him, and what was natural. It just wasn't natural for him to be walking on them waves, you know. And But the disciples, they were in unbelief. That's the difference. Unbelief is all the way in the mind of the flesh. But doubt is being tossed between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. Yeah, you know? uh, In fact, the word here that Jesus used is a different word than the last one we looked at. This is distazo, and it means to stand in two ways. That's what the word means, to stand in two ways. We're one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the kingdom. That's the way it is, right? Because when you're walking by faith, you got one foot in the kingdom. You're standing in two ways. Doubt. Which word is that again? Distazo. I mean, what word is it in English? Doubt. Doubt. Verse 31, doubt. Uh, but you know, Peter had enough sense to know that what the word of God said he could do, right? Now, Jesus was the word, wasn't he? In verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come unto thee upon the waters. He knew he could stand on the word. And, of course, the Lord, the word, said come. If the word says you can do it, you can do it. And Peter went down from the boat and walked upon the waters to come to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. You know, a lot of people say, well, he got his eyes off of Jesus. That's true. But he got his eyes off the Word. Because the Word was Jesus, right? And people say, well, when you get your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to sink. And that's true. But we can't separate Jesus from the Word. Many people think they have their eyes on Jesus, but they don't have their eyes on the, on the Word. 
You see what I'm talking about? Many people, in some way, some strange way, in their religious way, they separate Jesus from the Word. They can't be done because the Word is Jesus. Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received. That's Jesus. And you shall have it. And he said, and if you shall not doubt in your heart, it shall be done. That's right. Because the Bible says, if your heart condemns you not, you have boldness towards God. See, so the condition, the one main condition there is doubting. But you're going to doubt if your heart is condemning you. Because you're not forgiving somebody, aren't you? Yeah. So there's still only one condition then. Don't doubt. Have faith and don't doubt. But you're not going to have faith if your heart condemns you. You can't do it. You can't have condemnation and faith at the same time. You know, the Bible says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And you know, down deep in our heart, we all know that. You know? If we ask anything according to his will, we know he's going to hear us, right? And that's not really something, that's something that's really almost natural to you to know and to understand that. You know? Did you know that a lot of our prayer is not faith? It's unbelief. We pray, we pray the prayer because we're in unbelief. Look what it says here in verse 30. And when he saw the wind, he got his eyes off the word, got his eyes upon the teaching or the understanding of the fleshly man, right? He was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now that prayer there, that Lord, save me prayer, was that because of faith, or was it because of unbelief? Well, he definitely had faith that he was Lord, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had unbelief how quick he was going down on this sandbar, you know. Yeah. And that's the... Yeah, yeah. See, a lot of our prayers come out because we weren't doing what we should have been doing in the first place. Yeah. Many times we cry, Lord, save us, because we didn't do what we should have done by faith. Yeah. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and took hold of him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? The Lord reaches out his hand to us, but obviously it's the Lord's will that he not always have to hold our hand, right? He wants us to be able to walk as he walked, the scripture says. It's not the Lord's will that he always hold our hand. He's always, he always holds the hand of a child, right? But a son is able to follow the Spirit the way he did, you know? So Jesus said, why did you doubt? Why did you stand in two ways? When they were gone up into the boat, the wind ceased. And they that were in the boat worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. You know what I'm convinced? I'm convinced that if we don't get out of the boat, the Lord's going to put the water in the boat. You know, I don't know if y'all remember Justin's open vision that Justin had about the, the Lord sinking the, the gospel ship with the people dressed in white and dressed in black. And how that when he sunk the ship, the people dressed in white could swim. They stayed on the top of the water, but the guys dressed in black sunk. 
Why? Because of a lack of faith. Either unbelief or doubt, one or the other, okay? Or both. But at any rate, I'm convinced that the reason tribulation is coming because when I asked the Lord to give Justin a dream or a vision that night, I prayed for him that night, I asked him for our immediate future. You know, God is going to get some people out of the boat. And he's going to get them out of it one way or another. He's going to get us out of trusting in things physical, in things that are seen. God's tired of this world being our Savior. You know, he wants to be our Savior. He's a jealous God, the Bible says. A jealous God. And he wants to be our Savior. And he reckons it to us as righteousness when we walk by faith. Peter walked by faith. That's how he got on top of the water. There wasn't anything between him and the tribulation, the water, right? Nothing but the Word of God holding him up. Standing upon the Word of God. And he doubted because... For a moment, you got to thinking natural. It's not natural for me to be walking on top of this water. It's natural for me to sing. It's not natural for you to get healing the way we get healing. It's not natural for us to get deliverance the way we get deliverance. It's not natural for us to have the salvation of Christ in our soul. You know, None of the things of God are natural. But we start walking after sight like Peter did. He saw the wind. He saw those waves, you know. And this is impossible. You know, he thought to himself, I'm sure, you know, this is impossible. Fear. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really say, you know, it does say that he was afraid. You know, the, the devil brought in his big gun there. He, said, he directed his eyes at the situation, showed him how impossible this was for the natural, and then fear came along to do what? To drive him back into the natural mind. You know, to accept what was natural instead of supernatural. There's another parable in Luke 8 where the Lord decided he was going to put the water in the boat. When the Lord puts the water in the boat, you know what that means? It means it means that what you've been trusting in in the natural won't save you anymore. See? They stepped out, Peter stepped out of what of his own free will. He stepped out of Trusting in what was natural to hold him up in that tribulation. But you know, sometimes we're stubborn. We won't get out of that boat. And the Lord will come along to knock all those things that we've been trusting in out of the way. And that's what it, this parable in Luke 8 and uh, 22 may symbolize. It does to me. Now it came to pass... On one of those days that he entered into a boat, himself and his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake, and they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a stormy wind, a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filling with water. And were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? Notice, where is your faith? <laughs> and being afraid, they marveled, saying one to another, Who then is this? 
that he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Again, they were in the boat. The thing about Jesus was, while all this was going on, he had, he was still resting, he was still sleeping. You know what the scripture talks about, about entering into the rest, the, the Sabbath for the people of God, right? Ceasing from your works. In this case, your works would have been to bail. <laughs> bail as fast as you can, you know, do something. Probably running around pulling their hair out. I don't know what they were doing. I remember one time that me and a couple of friends of mine were going across Lake Maripal. It's a real shallow lake in Louisiana. It's a big lake, but it's real shallow. And when the wind goes across it, boy, it whips it up into some big waves very easily, you know. And we were going across it in a bathtub. We'd gone, been hunting on the other side. We were coming back across it in a bathtub. This was before I knew the Lord. But I was thinking about that as I read this, you know. We were going across it, and we'd go up and down in that little bathtub. And sometimes the front end would plow underneath the next wave, you know. So we decided to set old Dave up on the front. And I'd sit up there and try to body block the waves, you know, as they'd come along. You know, I was a little bit thicker than I am now, but I was still wasn't doing much good, you know. And body blocking these waves, keeping from filling the boat. But we had one guy back there bailing just as fast as he could, you know. The other guy was running the motor, and I was on the front blocking the waves, you know. <laughs> In desperation, you know, because boy, I tell you, I couldn't imagine sinking out there in the middle of Lake Walpole. You know? Couldn't imagine. Frightful. You know? We made it. We made it with the combination of all of our our works. <laughs> we made it. Did you keep on body blocking? Oh yeah, I body blocked all the way till we got into you know on a little bayous we came into, it. but uh, I just kept breaking in ways. You know what the feeling's like, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, I definitely know the feeling of sinking. I was in a, a friend's jet boat one time, and I said, hey, there's water coming in, and he is real loud, has a car motor on, you know? And he uh, said, no, no, it's no big deal. It, it leaks. It's, it's no big deal. I said, okay. He then said, hey, there's water coming in, and, uh, and he said, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Pump will kick in, little bill will pump, you know? The next thing you know, there was so much water, the flywheel was slinging it, you know. It was so deep. And I said, you better stop and look. If the water is coming in, he goes, ah! He turned around and started screaming. Let the plug out. Yeah, something happened, you know. It wasn't like that much water. We were way in the middle of the bay. So uh, he says, why didn't you tell me? I said, tell me. 20 minutes, you're sinking, you know. So I know the feeling, you know, when there's water in the boat and it's not supposed to be. You know, I can imagine I remember one time when I was probably Corbin's age, and my little brother was probably about Nathan's age. I went out with my dad down in Homa, Louisiana, out in the, in the Gulf, and uh, we went out in the sheriff's boat. He had a big wooden boat, you know, wrapped straight hull, strips of wood, you know, good to go. We went out there, and we ran into a water spout out there. And we couldn't get out of its way. We just just running as quick as we could to get out of its way. But the, it kicked up the waves pretty bad, you know. And the boat, it was a big old boat. But every time we'd clear top of a wave, it'd come down, slam real hard on the next wave. And we pounded a bunch of boards loose in the bottom. We were down there stuffing shirts and bridges and everything in them holes to keep that water from coming in, you know. And I remember the fear. I, I remember seeing the fear in my daddy's face, you know, because it was really bothering me. And he was saying he didn't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And I think I even tried to comfort him at the time, you know, said a few words to him. 
It'll be all right, Daddy. You know, something like that. I remember that. But I know the feeling of sinking out there. It's a it's a feeling of hopelessness, you know. But you know, we really it's just really not hopeless, is it? Not only is the Lord there to grab our hands, you know, but we can listen to the Word of God. We can stand on the Word of God. The Word of God can cause us to literally walk on water. But many times spiritually, we need to walk on water. And we can do it if we'll stand on the Word of God. But anyway, while the disciples were running around pulling their hair out, Jesus was asleep. Now what was the difference between Jesus and them? He was at rest. He was at complete rest. I'm talking about, let's see this in the spirit. Let's see the type in the shadow there, you know. He was rested because of what? His frame of mind, right? Of what he believed. You know? Not tossed about by every wind of doctrine, every understanding, you know. The thing that moves us in the circumstances is our understanding. Your understanding either makes you or breaks you in every situation. Their understanding, according to their understanding, listening to their flesh, they were fearful. Notice it said, when the boat was filling with water, they were in jeopardy. They were in danger, right? They were in da- was Jesus in danger? Wait, he was in the same boat. But he wasn't in no danger, was he? What was the difference? You know, Jesus one time, when they wanted to throw him off of a cliff, because of what he believed in his mind, because of listening to the mind of the Spirit, he passed right through the midst of him. When they tried to stone him one time, he passed right through the midst of him. Wasn't in any danger. One time he was t- said that Herod wanted to kill him. He said, Go tell that old fox that today and tomorrow I'm going to perform cures, and on the third day I'll be perfected. In other words, you can't get me until I'm ready to go. That's what he was really basically telling him, you know. And he wasn't going to be ready to go until the third day. But he was in no danger. He was in the same circumstance, the exact same circumstance, but he wasn't in any danger. They were in danger. Why? Because with his frame of mind, he could walk on the water. <laughs> well, they'd sink, <laughs> right? You ever, you, ever, you ever thought much about, you know, a lot of people talk about escaping the tribulation. Jesus wasn't in any tribulation there, but he was in the same boat. Some people think the only way you can escape tribulation is to fly away. You know what I'm talking about? Like the old song says. But tribulation has everything to do, has everything to do with your frame of mind. With whether you're listening to the mind of the spirit or the mind of the flesh. It has everything to do with that. And if you're listening to the mind of the flesh, you're in jeopardy. You're in danger. You're in danger of sinking and drowning. People do it. <laughs> but if you're following, if you're after the mind and the spirit, nothing. You, you're like Jesus. Like the Lord said, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But the boat's sinking, Lord. Be anxious for nothing. Just let your request be known unto God. That's all he said. You know, don't worry about things. Just let your request be known unto God. Jesus knew that. That was his frame of mind. That's what he was thinking. He wasn't in tribulation. They were in tribulation. But we got to get out of the boat, or the Lord's going to put the water in the boat. In the days that are coming, there won't be any physical thing 
That's exactly right. There won't be any physical thing that you'll be able to trust in anymore. We, we just want to make up our mind now that we're going to listen to the mind of the Spirit. We're going to listen to that faith that comes from the Spirit and not to that unbelief that comes from the flesh. We're going to set our eyes upon Jesus. We're going to set our eyes upon the Word of God and accept only what the Word says. If we don't, we're going to sink. Remember one time the Lord told me what to do with a couple that was in in the church who was just continually in sin and drawing other people into sin. And the Lord told me, said, kick the baby birds out of the nest. That's what he spoke to me. Kick the baby birds out of the nest. In other words, you're going to fly or hit the ground. But I was doing what the Lord told me. Kick them out. They either fly or hit the ground. You know what? When you come into the end of time, and you've got all these other gods that you trust in, to save you. And the Lord says, Thou shalt have no other God before me. Then he's got to get the water in the boat if you won't get out of the boat, right? Our life experience should be a, an experience of losing those other gods and coming to solely trust upon the Lord. To be able to trust only upon his word without sight, without hearing, Without the senses, the fleshly senses, to be able to trust completely in Him, to be able to rest, to enter into the Sabbath. He was keeping the Sabbath. They weren't. He was keeping the Sabbath because He had entered into His rest. He was ceasing from His works. You can bet they weren't ceasing from their works. Word is they were. They were bailing. They were probably throwing it out of there with their paddles. You know? <laughs> don't know what they were doing, but they were obviously worried about it. But the thing was, they came to Jesus, said, Master, we perish. Another prayer of unbelief, right? And Jesus said, where is your faith? He rebuked the wind and the water, and he said, where is your faith? In other words, this wasn't a time to be coming to Jesus, praying to Jesus. This was a time for you to do something. Isn't that what he's saying? Where is your faith? He was actually rebuking them for not doing what he just did. That's what it sounds in my Bible. There are times we cry to Jesus, Jesus do this, Jesus do that. And you know what he'd say? You do it. He did it to the disciples. There was a word about feeding the multitudes one time. He turned to them and said, you feed them. Then he turned around and did it, but he told them you to give you them to eat. Then, where is your faith? You know, the Lord's no respecter of persons. Our Father's no respecter of persons. We can do what Jesus did, and He said, if we believed in Him, even greater works we would do. God's no respecter of persons. What we've got to do is do what He did. And that is, listen to the mind of the Spirit. Listen to the Word of God. Set our mind and our eyes upon the Word of God and not be moved by anything else. Be stubborn for God. Not be moved by anything else. Didn't they know what he told them in Luke chapter 10? 
He says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Yeah, that sounds like they were indestructible. Well, they were indestructible if they believed that verse. <laughs> That's the whole point. Hey, hey, I'm getting hurt. How come this, this verse says I can't get hurt? But it, well, they believed the verse. Jesus believed it too. That's why he was sleeping. <laughs> Jesus believed it. He had rest because of that. He had no anxiety. I don't think he would have been worried about dying either, you know. But at any rate, they had power over the enemy, including the enemy's power to destroy them in that boat. Somebody would say, well, who, who caused the waves and who was trying to destroy them in the boat? If you look at it from Satan's point of view, he was trying to destroy them, but if you look at it from God's point of view, God was trying to bring faith in their heart, right? So it all, the motives motives were different, but God's purpose is the one that's going to last, right? And being afraid, they marveled, saying one to another, Who then is this that commandeth even the winds and the water? And they obeyed him. You know, the Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. You mean they could have sunk in that boat? <laughs> yeah, people do sink. You know, people do leave this life because they don't trust in God. It happens all the time. People do die because they don't trust in God. It happens. Well, I'm not saying there's not a time for the Lord to take us. There surely is. But he says his people perish for lack of knowledge. If they would have had, and, and I believe they did have it. I believe they had the knowledge. And I believe they had faith, too. When Jesus said, where is your faith? I don't believe it was because they didn't have any faith. They weren't listening to it. They weren't listening to it. Again, here we are. We've got the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. Faith is only in the mind of the spirit. And unbelief is only in the mind of the flesh. And if we're wavering between the two, we're doubting. And we won't receive there either. Let's look at another one. Uh, go back over to Matthew 17. And verse 19. Now let's go to verse 14. Matthew 17, 14. When they were come to the multitude, there came to him a man kneeling to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and suffereth grievously. For oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft times into the water. And they brought him unto thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. Faithless and perverse or perverted generation. You ever, have you ever thought, Jesus is a little hard. Have you ever thought that? Seems like he's a little hard because you can put yourself in their position too, can't you? 
In fact, I remember one time having any trouble <laughs> casting an epileptic spirit out of somebody. You know? In fact, I failed completely. Remember that? Years ago, about 15 years ago. And so I can put myself in that position. <laughs> I can put myself in that position very well. And it sounds like, it's real hard on them. <laughs> because we can think so naturally, can't we? But yet, this is God's opinion, you know. This is God's attitude towards unbelief. Through this, we can see how far we are sometimes from what is right and what is good. Unbelief is wickedness. The Bible calls it an evil heart of unbelief. Evil heart. So be careful. Where's that? That's in Hebrews 3, isn't it? Let me read that just a second. Hebrews uh, 3 and 12. Take heed, brothers, lest happily there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. Woo. There's many exhortations in that chapter about holding firm to our faith. Like in verse 6, if we hold fast our boldness and the glory of our hope firm unto the end. Or verse 14, for we are become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence firm unto the end. Chapter 4, verse 1, Let us fear, therefore, lest happily a promise being left of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Sounds like it's important to God, isn't it? it? Sounds like it's important to God that we be delivered of an evil heart of unbelief. And I can hear somebody saying now, oh boy, that's hopeless. No, it's not. It's not hopeless at all, you know. It's a matter of not being double-minded, two-souled. Isn't that the way he described doubting? Two-souled, double-minded. It's a matter of not being two-souled. It's a matter of listening to what God has said and not listening to anything else. We're going to try going our own way, doing our own thing, our golden calf, you know. He's going to, he won't grant the things. And people won't be able to enter in. Have you ever run across people that were trying to repent, but we're not able. We all know of examples of that, right? People who are striving to repent, crying with tears to repent, but they weren't able. When I mean repent, I, I mean the word to turn about, you know, change your mind, metanoia, you know, change your mind. And what they're not able. In some ways, they sell their birthright. In the midst of the trial, they sell their birthright. You know. Or a mess of meat. But following after the flesh, they give up in the midst of the trial. After the trial, they're, they're sorry. But in the midst of the trial, they're not sorry enough to turn away from it in the midst of the trial. Later, when it's all over, they shed many tears. Like Esau. Shed all kinds of tears. But he found no place for repentance from God. But here in, uh, in Matthew 17, Jesus said, A faithless and perverse generation. These were his disciples now, the ones that were following him. 
The rest of them weren't even following him. You can see what boat they were in, but these people were following him. We call them a faithless and perverse generation. But Jesus had faith for these disciples, man. He knew what they were going to be. He said, how long shall I be with you? You know, it's not pleasurable for the Lord. It's not pleasurable for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved to be taken in some of the ways that we take it. Because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We take him whichever way we want to go sometimes, don't we? Instead of being led by the Spirit, we drag him with us. Obviously, he can be grieved. And here Jesus was grieved. Being around such doubtfulness, you know, he was grieved. And was it, was it because they didn't have the power? Think about it. Was it because they didn't have the power? They had the power there. What I would see is they just weren't using it. Like a life preserver. They had that life preserver, but when the time comes, came, they just didn't grab it. They knew what they had. Yeah, in chapter 10 and verse 1, he called unto him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. He gave them authority. They had it. They had the power. It's just that they couldn't even use the power that they had without the faith. He gave them that authority. It wasn't a matter of, is it your will, Jesus? Because he gave them authority. Authority. Authority is the right to use power. It wasn't a matter of, well, is it your will, Jesus? No. He gave them authority. A lot of uh, different texts, texts have uh, power instead of authority. Right. So, so authority is the, what, what again? Power? Authority is the right to right. use power. Like actually in, in Luke 10, it doesn't say I've given you power over all the power of the enemy. It says I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. If you've got authority, you don't like power. Right? Yeah, because we've got authority to use his power. Okay. Yeah. The King James says power over all the power of the enemy. But the original don't, it says authority. It's a different word. In, the word, in verse 19, Luke 10 and 19, I have given you exousia to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the dunamis of the enemy. I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Go back in Matthew 17 and 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. They won't do it in public, I guess. So why, why could we not cast it out? And he said unto them, Because of your little faith. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible to you. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Because of your little faith. Again, I believe that 
they had the Spirit of God. And you know that in Galatians 5 and 22, we mentioned it earlier, but I want to point this out to you because some of your Bibles don't say this. In Galatians 5 and 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith. That's what it says. So it's the same word for faith as what else in the Bible. Faithfulness? Yeah, faithfulness. It sounds flowery. The only problem is it's the same word as everywhere else is faith. And in the numerics, it just says faith. It doesn't say faithfulness. It's just faith. The fruit of the Spirit is faith. In other words, what grows out of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, or what is born from the mind of the Spirit, is faith. How could they have not had faith? See, notice the next verse, it says, And they that are of Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the passions and the lusts thereof. See, so there's really only two men in us, right? Carnal man and spiritual man. And actually, you know the why, why we look at that word double-minded? Two souls. Actually, in a way, that's true. Because the spiritual man... Is made up of your spirit and the part of your soul that's been begotten spiritually. It's been born spiritually. The part of your soul, the part of your nature, right? But the carnal man is the flesh and the part of your soul that's still carnal, fleshly. In other words, it's not born of God yet. You know, in your nature, you can think of things that you know are not born of God, right? Because you haven't gotten complete victory there, right? But in other parts of your nature, you have complete victory. You've overcome. That's the spiritual man. See, spiritual man. Not spirit. Spiritual man. And carnal man. There's two men in there. And your soul is split somewhere. It's split between what is fleshly and what is spiritual. And the more you walk after the mind of the spirit, the more your soul is taken over by the spiritual man and the flesh is put to death. And so that's why I think that his disciples had faith. Looking also in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, they had faith because they had been casting demons out all along. Since the time Jesus gave them that order, back in uh, Matthew 10, they had been casting demons out. But they came to this one, and he said, where is your faith? Well, that's what he said. He said, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. In other words, their problem is not a lack of faith, because they've been using faith all along to cast out demons. But they've come to a place where they doubted. They were double-minded. They were too souls. They weren't listening to faith. Here in Romans 12, it says in verse 3, For I say through the grace that was given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as soberly, according as God hath dealt to each, not every man, because that's not true. The Bible says every man, that's not true. God hadn't given every man a measure of faith. That was not true. But he has given to each, he was talking about the disciples here. He has given to each 
a measure of faith. The Bible definitely says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that all have not faith. In other words, there's people among us that are terrorists and they don't have any faith. And they're not going to attempt to step out on that wall. All have not faith. But God has dealt to each of his faith. The problem is not that they don't have faith. The problem is, are they going to listen to it? In this battleground right here, are they going to listen to it? Are we going to listen to it? So if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, but even that little bit, it doesn't take much faith to do everything that we need to do. And only a little bit of doubt will destroy it. Because doubt is being double-minded. And you know, I know that the devil uses this on us a lot. You'll fire a thought through there that's contrary to God. Say, aha, you doubt it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not doubt. Doubt is when you have accepted that thought in your mind. Many times thought comes through your mind and you just out, out of hand reject it. You just, I don't accept, maybe, maybe you won't even say it, but you just don't accept it. You shake that one off. You know? That's not doubt. But the devil will accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren. You know? He'll accuse you to yourself. Even. See, you doubt it. Now you can't receive from the Lord. That's another one of his deceptions. You know? We're not ignorant of his devices. When we don't accept a thought of doubt, then we have won the victory. That's the main thing is when we those thoughts come through our mind, we just don't accept them. Because the devil can fire all kinds of thoughts through your mind. And your flesh can put all kinds of thoughts, can give you all kinds of thoughts. It's just that we don't have to accept them. They, when they come up, we can reject them. We stick up the shield of faith and we quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Right? The fiery darts are those thoughts. That's what fiery darts are. They're thoughts. When they come in there, we quench them. We quench them. Because if you listen to them, you will fail. I feel like the Lord spoke to me one time, and you let the fire dark come in instead of putting up the shield of faith. It'll turn into a bonfire that you can't put out. You'll fail. You can't put it out. The fear overcomes you. You give in to the thought. The fear is right behind it, and it'll overcome you. A man's tempted when he's drawn away by his lust. Just the lust being there is not the temptation. It's when you are drawn away by that lust and enticed. That's when you're tempted. I think very soon God's going to sink the boat. <laughs> I don't think we've got nothing to worry about. I really don't. Because God's going to give grace. His whole purpose is through this trial for us to grow in faith and to come to know him as Savior in every way. This is his purpose. We know this before the trial comes. We can know this is his purpose. And so we shouldn't be fearful. It's like the Bible says when iniquity abounds, faith and grace much more abounds. When the hard times come, God is going to give more grace to do what has to be done. This has to be done. 
God is making sons of God. What is a son of God? He's one who follows the Spirit. Right? Because of these other things that we've been depending upon, the boat, we haven't been necessarily always following the Spirit, right? What gets me though, Dave, is, is we have faith that that boat's going to hold us up. You know, we have faith that the person who put it together, who was a human being. Yeah. You know, uh, he could have been an alcoholic, a dope addict, or something on the job, you know. Uh-huh. Nailing their nails on that boat, uh-huh. like the guy that makes the seatbelts on the car, you know. Yeah, who, who, who do we know? You know, the, the guy like parachute packers, you know. That's faith to jump out of an airplane. I tell you. Looking at
in greater works in some cases. Jesus did what he did because he was the son of God. And the son, according to Romans 8, is one who follows the spirit. If we follow the spirit and we become consistent in following the spirit, then we're what the Bible calls not a technon anymore, but a huios, a son. Technon is a child. If the child is in bondage to circumstances. The child is in bondage to his flesh. But a son is not. And what the creation needs right now is the manifestation of the sons of God. Right? Why? Because a son is one that can deliver the creation. And a child cannot. A son can deliver the creation because he controls circumstances instead of circumstances controlling him. Now, child is one who is controlled by the circumstances. But well, we've, we've been promised in 1 John chapter 3 to come into the likeness of the son. And it says child in King James, but it should say son because it's curious and not technical. To become sons, we all have to do the same thing. Be consistent in listening to the spirit and not the flesh. Stop being double-minded. Stop being too soul. Can quench my thirsting soul. Pure as water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in